0: From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts. It's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, do me a favor and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Share it with a friend. Leave us a note on Apple Podcasts. I have uh, an awesome guest today who I've, I've actually been... Uh, quietly stalking he doesn't realize but I'm trying to get him on the show for a long time he's the chef the brains and the skill behind the chubby chickpea you might know that outfit with the with the carts around he's also in recent years opened an awesome restaurant in Sharon called Simca and we're going to talk about everything going on his name is Avi Shemtov Avi welcome I hope that was the appropriate amount of fanfare um, I liked
1: it. I thought it was good. Okay. By the way, so two things jumped right out at me. One is that's John Meter Perell on your intro, right? Very good. Yes. A good great year. Fan of John Meter Perel yeah. um, Meter actually. He?
0: Do you know Meter from uh, back in the day or something, or
1: just? I didn't know him at all. I'm just a big fan, and oh, okay. then he moved to Sharon. I only knew that because Jerry Callahan was on my podcast and mentioned that, and then like a week later, he was at Simcha. And I didn't want to do like the weird thing of like walking right up to his table. So yeah. I kind of hung by the host stand until he was on his way out. And I yeah. said, John, meet with John, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, So I introduced myself to him. I was a fan of was from, I loved him on EI. I loved him.
0: Yeah. He brought a great element, a needed element with Dennis and Callahan with their shenanigans. And they, you know, those two have such an edge and meter, I thought brought some balance and I'm sure he said to you on the way out. Thank you, Avi. We had a lovely meal The from <laughs> the appetizers right down to the dessert. He doesn't turn the voice off. That's that's what's interesting about him. It's That's not a phony uh, voice. That's just meter. Yeah. Um, no, he was super cool. You mentioned the podcast. Great. I got to go back and listen to you and Jerry. That's a great, great get on your part. Heat in the Kitchen, by the way, is the name of Avi's pod. And from what I understand, yeah. you might talk food, but you talk a bunch of other stuff too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we talk a lot of politics, sports, uh, a lot of sports, a lot of politics. Honestly, mainly. Um, I've been had. We we've had some cool people on there. Like Andre Tippett was on, so we talked a lot of football that day. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, some football, some stuff like around like this was, before, you know, this was that was like six months ago. But we we were talking about like the Kaepernick stuff, and um, Callahan was Callahan was cool. So like, do you know Jerry at all?
0: I have never I, met Jerry. No, just know so, his work. This very my well.
1: only experience. With my only experience with Jerry, but I was I'm, like I said, a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And I, by the way, it's funny because if anybody ever listened to me or read my Facebook or knows me in person, they would know like, my politics are pretty far from Jerry's. Only because right. I'm in the center and he's all the way to one side. Yeah. But um, but I just still I just like the way he presents information and and so go walk into a room before we even started. It's like like you said about meter that's who jerry jerry callahan was jerry callahan like from the moment we started talking just super sincere he has a cool way of like telling you you're an idiot but meeting it like as a friend you know what i mean like he like it was it was cool he could we need more people that can disagree with each other and still be cool
0: oh i totally agree with what you just said that should be the name of jerry's autobiography a cool way of calling you an idiot I've, I've, (laughs) I'm, uh, I was raised by crazy bleeding heart, liberal women. And so, um, in my blood, it's, it's counter to what Jerry has put forth over the years, but he's, but it's, it's being in in the business I'm in, it's hard to deny his talent. He's, he's been talented ever since he was writing for the Herald and then sports illustrated and, and a compelling guy. And he translated very well to radio. The, uh, the, the, the proof is there. I don't have to pump his tires. The guy was the highest, he and John were one of the, you know, the highest rated in Boston radio history, I would imagine. But anyway, let's get back to you. So, um, tell me how now, first off the, the let's, let's do pre pandemic first. And how long ago was the chubby chickpea? And then tell us just a little bit about how eventually you, 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 you launched Simca and Sharon and all that.
1: So the chickpea turns 10 years old a week from tomorrow. Um happy birthday. Started as thank you. Started <laughs> as a, a brick and mortar in Canton Center. Um yeah. sort of proof of concept for like 2 years then we launched the food truck in Boston. We were one of the we were one of the early arrivals in the food truck scene in Boston. And then that kind of that's sort of like where the chickpea exploded and where we got all our catering business from and grew from there. A couple of years after that I opened a mobile beer truck company called tapped. Nice. Um so I own like a small fleet of mobile beer trucks. Um, mostly private parties, beer gardens Stuff like that And then 15 months ago now I guess I opened um, I opened Simcha and Sharon Which had sort of evolved as a pop-up series Under the chickpea for a little while mm-hmm. So we tested that out for a few years At some cool Boston spots Before we arrived at doing it And like, we did it in Sharon because it's where I'm from Where sure. I live And it was a compromise between me and my wife To be like, alright, if I already work 100 hours a week How can I add like a Boston restaurant to that So for now we'll, we'll be in Sharon it's, um,
0: it's just a great restaurant. And it's, I, I've, uh, I was one of the people who visited at least in the first few months and impressed right away. Do you call it now, do you call it uh Middle Eastern style? I know it's, it's tapas style. You correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. so but it's, right. but, but one of the great things about it is you go with you know we usually go myself and my girlfriend Brenda with another couple you or you just order a whole bunch of stuff and you pick pick at this and pick at that you tell us tell us the conception of that idea and what it's like
1: yeah so for me uh, when i when i opened the chickpea our like official mission statement was we wanted to popularize israeli cuisine through a consistent customer first experience and um and i think like people kind of needed to understand like when the chickpea was first opening people didn't necessarily understand israeli food Um, Middle Eastern food, not even really either, but definitely nobody understood Israeli food. And now opening Simca, people are really well-versed in like what, when I say Israeli food, people know, falafel, hummus, shawarma. So with Simca, we've been sort of trying to push the edge. We don't want, we're not recreating, we're inventing. And so to me, I want, in in order to get, like you're my target demo. So like somebody like you comes in, exactly that four top you just described, you want to have a good time. I want you to push the edge, I want you to try stuff. And that really only works in small plate format because like, all right, you ordered like 12 things over the course of the night. You hated one, but it didn't ruin your night. Cause you just like, that wasn't for you. Maybe Brenda liked it a little bit better, you know, and <laughs> right, so, right, right. a little more of that. You moved on to the Brussels sprouts. Yep. Um, and so for us, like it was, it's also, it's, it's a little different, I think for the suburbs, because as much as there's people try to do cool in the suburbs, I think everyone always ends up sort of giving in and moving the line back towards universal Mm -hmm. just just for numbers reasons and so for us like we've tried to sort of dig in and be like stick to what what we opened up as a concept again I'm only I'm only 15 months into it and I'm a few months into COVID so let's see how long I can hold that that line but that's the plan
0: yeah it's it's much needed and and for those I'm a Sharon guy grew up in Sharon and for those that don't know we're we're kind of a, a sleepy town and never have really had restaurants of any sort for for Decades, The only restaurant yep. of note, besides the Sharon House of Pizza and joints like that, was right. Alice's Mandarin Taste, which is, um, l- let me call a spade a spade. Sharon, historically, has been a heavily Jewish area, and it's a little bit more diversified <laughs> for whatever word you want to use but you put a, a Chinese restaurant in among a bunch of Jews and you're probably going to do pretty well. So she's, she's flourished for years, but it, it but it's not, it, I wouldn't call that gourmet cuisine. It's just good Chinese food in my opinion. Um, yeah, so I agree. Yeah. And so yeah, you,
1: I think it good Chinese food.
0: Right. So you come along with Simca and in recent years, we had a restaurant in the center of town, the, the square, which is also good, kind of just good American fare. But, um, Unfortunately, you know, you've, you've, I don't know. I'm glad you, uh, Simka kind of got its feet underneath it before p- the pandemic, but, right. um, but it's been, uh, and I'll be a little salty. It's been a bitch for everybody. It must be, must've been a bitch for you. You've been doing the takeout, which is great. I've done that a few times from Simka. What's it been like?
1: Man. So like, look, I think that like right now, where we are as an industry or first of all, every industry, but then as an industry right now, it's tough, really tough. It's always tough. And it's especially tough now. And then when you add in the mix of like every town has its own dynamic and Sharon is just, Sharon's unique. Like we, you know, I've said from day one that Simca is a three-year project to get to where I want it to be because like I need to be your, it's hard to be your date night spot and your Tuesday night spot. So like that's something right. we tried to balance. And then I actually feel like the folks that open the square So I tried to get involved a little bit and and sort of push them a little Mm -hmm. because I think that there's – I think Sharon's the kind of place where you could have two two places really succeed if they complement each other. Mm -hmm. So like the square could just be a good like burgers and salads. I've eaten there, and I've always enjoyed my meals. I think they could really thrive that way, Mm -hmm. and then they could be your Tuesday night spot, and I could be your date night spot. Mm -hmm. Instead, for some reason, everybody – egos get involved, and you you aim at like a certain thing. So in my opinion, like they sometimes aim – like, they, they're more focused on trying to take that date night business. Mm-hmm. And, like, we don't want to become your burger joint. So, Sharon ends up losing because there is no your burger joint. And we're – so, I, I guess how I would say it's just up and down. It yep. always isn't, Sharon. Yep. It's been it's been tough to get a foothold. Our takeout business was crazy when we first started, um, really focusing on that at the beginning of this. And then people's attention spans, they just start to, like, wean off you a little. And then they remember you and they come back. So, it's just – we it's completely – There's no predictability about it, but we just opened outdoor seating and we've opened like a really cool space. And I'm hoping that I'm hoping that there's enough people out there that want, that want to do something cool. It's super distanced. Um, I mean, we exceeded all the the guidelines as far as space between the seats. We've made a choice not to go indoor, um, just for a lot of internal reasons with our staff and how we feel about things. So we're going to really focus on, we've got as many seats outside as we did in the restaurant. Mm. So it's like on a nice night, I think, like, hopefully we can still be a running restaurant. If not, I'll sell more beer on a beer truck.
0: (laughs) So, so I hope Simca sticks around for three years total and beyond. um, Because I, as I've already, I've already sung its praises. By the way, the the chicken is my favorite. There's everything is great, but that chicken is, what's the secret behind that chicken? I might as well ask.
1: Yeah, so the chicken, I actually, so I do a Facebook, uh, like just on my personal Facebook, I do like a, at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, I do like a, like a live cooking thing. Oh, cool. And it just, it, it kind of just started out of, I wanted to cook chuchuca right when this COVID thing started. One morning I just went live and I was like, I'm just cooking Chichuca I got a great response. So I do it every Sunday. And I did that chicken one time. So that video is there. But what we do is we brine. So we start with whole chickens, we break them down. And I think that makes a big difference, yeah. uh, especially because with commercial product, the, I do this food share, and somebody the other day was like, they're they're buying commercial product and they're like, the chicken breast is like this big. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like commercial meat when they, when they, there's chickens that are just for the breast. There's chickens that are just for the leg. Mm. So when you buy that stuff and I think it's harder to get it right that way. So we break down whole chickens and then we brine them for six hours in our scoop, which is a Yemenite hot sauce. Mm. Uh, Then we desalinate it. And then that just gets tossed in chickpea flour, unseasoned chickpea flour and deep fried Mm and then finished in a hot sauce that we make in house, like as a take on Nashville hot chicken. So, I mean, it's actually, it sounds simple. It's just a little bit of work, but um, that's really the only trick to that chicken. I love it too.
0: There was um, an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry and his friends become obsessed with this Palestinian chicken, which of course leads to Larry creating an international incident by of course. Jews versus Palestinians or whatever. But I always wondered what that chicken tastes like. Your chicken is what I imagine that Palestinian chicken tastes like. It's just so succulent. And you're right. The key is we're used to eating chicken, boneless chicken breasts. It's sometime in the 90s or something that became the thing that everybody just has to eat. But the key is the, the, the skin on there and the diff- different parts of the chicken. It's just excellent. By the way, I, I, I'll back up a sec. Did, did, are your... Do your you have Israeli blood in you, or was there a different reason why this kind of food inspires you?
1: Yeah, no. So I mean, I'm an Israeli citizen, but my my dad was born in Israel, so Mm -hmm. I wasn't born there, but my dad was born there. All I have a a huge family that's all still there. My dad's the only one that came over here. Mm -hmm. Um. So I mean, I I I have half Israeli blood in me. (laughs) I have an Israeli passport, and I I make it there quite a bit. A lot of my family's there. So if I was gonna, I mean. If I, if I decided to open a burger joint next week, it would be an Israeli burger joint. It's just sort of the game.
0: I've been, uh, I'm staying the obvious, but it's an amazing place to visit. I've been, I think, three times. One time I had a chance to visit a friend who lives in the old city of, of Jerusalem, which, sure. which talk about it, it, uh, an amazing place to live. For those that haven't been there, the... You know, it depending upon what part of the old city you're standing in, you might be standing on something that legitimately was there in the days of King David, and that's not an exaggeration. That's that's true. And then the old city is just—I don't even know what you would call it. It's, it's the whole thing is kind of built out of stone um i don't know what they call
1: it, you, they call it jerusalem stone it's, it's that white brick right. so at simca that's what that wall that's oh, come on yeah is meant to look like so it's not that's not actual jerusalem stone we couldn't source that right but we spent a lot of time finding the tiling that's meant to that's that's what we're trying to recreate is that stone that jerusalem is built out of
0: yeah and this guy is a friend of mine just absolutely beautiful apartment when you walk in totally modern and everything but built into the shell of that, what I presume is in fact an ancient structure, which is just un- unbelievable. So you, you mentioned, and I and, uh, apologize listeners for jumping around, but give me a break. It's Monday as, as we record this. Um, the, you know, Governor Baker announced that if I'm not mistaken, either today or tomorrow is the day when restaurants are allowed to have indoor seating. Um, you, you, you just said you've made the call not to do that. Is that for the foreseeable future or what's the plan?
1: Yeah, like, So I'm really careful about this one just because as a small business owner, I feel like it's really, really important to do what works for you, what works for your family, for your team, for your guests, but not to interfere at all with other people's business. Like I'm not saying that I obviously won't go eat at somebody else's dining room. I definitely support my friends that whether because they feel like they've got a better plan or their space is more conducive to it, or to be frank, because their staff, is built differently or their business is built differently that they need to do it. I totally rock with those people. Uh, I mean, there are people I love and care about deeply who are going to open indoor dining and I don't think they're bad people. I don't necessarily think they're making the wrong call for me personally, not having all the answers and having things move so much. I just, I believe in sort of playing things the same way I play poker. Like if you're going to fold a seven, two offsuit every time, fold it every time. Sometimes (laughs) trip sevens are going to come on the board, but you just have to play it the way you play it. So for me, from day one, I've had a, a really honest, transparent relationship with my with all of my staff about this. We've been lucky not to have to let anybody go unless it was their choice to go. And one of the commitments I made was, you guys rock with me, hustle your butts off as we pivot around, and I'm not going to do anything that I feel like could even have the tiniest tiniest amount of blowing blowing up on you guys. Mm. And so for me, I made a commitment to like until this is really behind us, and we have 100% guidance that it's not coming back around. I'm not going to have guests come sit in my dining room. And I don't, again, I say that I'm really apprehensive to say that the way I just did, because I don't think that someone else doing it is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I know everything. I just know that for me, like you might want to bungee jump and lots of people bungee jump and everyone ends up safe. And I'm not saying bungee jumping is unsafe. I wouldn't bungee jump. Right. It's just, I'm afraid of it. <laughs> so I'm afraid of indoor seating personally in my restaurant, given our so- size, size, Our space requirements, the commitment that I would be making to my staff and my guests in order to get that done, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I just can't personally take that on. So we're just going to really invest in the outdoor seating. I mean, we got like the coolest, like my landlord is the man, but he was like, you got to have barriers. You need Jersey barriers because I can't have a parking lot where like a car could hit these people. Mm -hmm. So we got Jersey barriers. Road plates was so cool. They came out the next day. They put all that up for me. And then... We, I bought a bunch of tomato plants and a bunch of herbs, and I like built us a little outdoor garden Fantastic. so that that way we actually—it's all stuff that's on our menu. Right. So I was oh, like, wow. that super fits with what we do. I was like, now nah, we'll be growing stuff outside, and then we got like cool, like antique-looking things, and put all our tables out there. We got speakers. We're having live music this upcoming Friday. So it. we're just going to try to do the Austin, Texas thing, make it cool and weird, <laughs> and hope that people rock with us. Uh, to me, it just—it I can't imagine. You've been to Simca, so like you understand how hard I've worked to create a vibe in there. Yeah, I don't think that vibe can exist in a room full of people who are like a little uncomfortable yeah. being around each other. I just don't think I can give you the experience that we set out to give you. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to try to do a different thing.
0: Yeah, it's cozy, and um, I hope your momentum continues. I, I bumped into an old fraternity brother of mine at Simca. And he, I believe he lives in Wellesley and I just don't get to see him that often. And he came, he started walking up to my table in in Simca. This is pre pandemic, of course. And I was like, what is Steve Wiviot doing here? And, and so I said, what, what's up, what brings you to Sharon? And he said, I just heard this was an awesome restaurant. So it's, it, I hope you continue to get that momentum at, you know, people from, we used to drive to Wellesley to go to Blue Ginger or some of those places, you know, because we just heard they were great. Have you, have you found that people will travel with a few towns over?
1: Uh, yeah. So for us, like one of the big reasons why I put, I chose that spot in a plaza and it was like, look, I, with what I wanted to build being in you know, a shopping plaza wasn't ideal. That's not what I wanted. Yeah. And it's I kind just, of, it's like,
0: pardon me, Avi, it's for those that don't know, it's, um, it's a nondescript shopping plaza to be kind, right?
1: Yes. Agreed. <laughs> and so that's why, like, I worked so hard. Hopefully when you've been there, Hopefully you felt that it's different when you're inside. I worked really hard to like, that's why we put the Jerusalem skyline from like back, back mounted in vinyl on the window and, and sort of made it. So you can't see in is because, but the reason I needed to shopping clauses for me, I was really intentional in picking a space that size. So I think I'm at a point in my career where I, where I can run a 38 seat restaurant and draw, but 65 seat restaurants, you know, you're 20 seats empty on a Friday night and you're getting crushed for it. And I don't know if I was there, And then also I needed parking because I knew that like at the price point that I'm at, at the creativity level and the pushing the envelope aspect, I can't live off of Sharon. I can't even live off of Sharon, Canton, Easton. I need you to be able to leave from Wellesley, Dover, Andover, and and know that like when you get there, there's a place to put your car. Absolutely. So that that was really intentional picking a spot like that. And I'm opening a spot two doors from there now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've fallen in love with being in that plaza. I'm hoping to, to make it less nondescript. Uh, you know, like hopefully there's little things that we can do to make it cool. We'll find out.
0: Well, it never bothers me to drive there. I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying. As shopping plazas go, it's not what you'd call <laughs> Tony. Historically, it hasn't been. But it, no, it, to me, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's I'm going to a great restaurant. By the no, way, by the yes. way,
1: it's funny that you, it's funny you mentioned Blue Ginger. Yep. Uh, for a couple reasons. One, so Blue Ginger is like the first restaurant that I ever had, like an adult, like oh, wow, this is what great dining is right. in my head experience. And then also Ming has been really cool to me in my career. I was on his uh, on his national television show. Oh, cool. um, he's been really cool to me. But also, the very first time I listened to your podcast, mm-hmm. you has anybody ever told you that eyes closed, you and Ming Tsai sound exactly the same? No. Wow. Like, exactly I- to the <laughs> point where the first time I listened to your podcast – I thought I had screwed up and lit was listening to the wrong thing. You sound and it's, and that today. As we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, he sounds exactly like me inside.
0: Well, like, Hey, that's good company. Good company. As far as I'm concerned, no, you guys yes. are both
1: great orators. <laughs> great orators.
0: Thank you. Uh, yeah. yes, I'm a very cunning linguist. Oh my God. Bad joke. I'm sorry. Again, people it's Monday. It's Monday.
1: So that a rap group? That, that's a rap group.
0: <laughs> the, cunning linguist? That is. the
1: cunning linguist. Yeah. <laughs> No, it really is. It's like a oh, I believe you. good. good.
0: I just know it as a bad joke from one of the Austin Powers movies. Anyway, um, yeah. you. So you and listen. I, I think that give would give a lot of people um, comfort. Your your approach to this, because as it's one thing for the governor to say restaurants are open, it's another for people to actually go to them. And I. I and you know, you've got. I don't know about you. I know people all across the board on this. I know people who are now letting, basically letting their kids run wild and hang out with their friends and go to the beach with their friends, almost like th- there's nothing going on. And then the others are the okay. other, other spectrum that it's like, you, you know, we're not going to have a vaccine within a year. Um, if we don't continue this vigilance, then we're, we're going to face some disastrous numbers like other states are experiencing. What, what do, you so think- do you think? Eat- go ahead. Go ahead. Do you Abby. eat
1: hamburgers? Do you eat hamburgers? Sure. I love them. Okay. What, what temperature do you eat a hamburger at?
0: I couldn't tell you. Uh, Ninety. I don't need a number. <laughs> I mean, like, how do you? Is it rare? Uh, is it medium rare? I like. Is it my, medium? I like mine, um, mine uh, medium well. That's okay, how I cool. like
1: Well, actually, me too. Okay, perfect. I'm okay. with you there. But like hamburgers are a great example of like of a, a from a food standpoint of a pandemic. Okay, it's something that we know has risks. Right. It's and and anyone that says that there's no risk is just ignoring stuff. Mm-hmm. It's no, there's a risk. Like E. Coli exists and a very tiny percentage amount of beef. And right. when it is ground and not cooked all the way through, that exists. Health code makes us tell you that at the bottom of the menu, that I'll serve you a burger that's not cooked all the way through. But until it's medium well, that risk exists. Right Now, then there are people that make choices. There are people that say, I love an undercooked burger so much that I'm willing to eat that at my friend's backyard barbecue, right? right. I'm right. not willing to do that, but I respect your right to do it. For me, my friend's backyard barbecue is the least safe place. He knows nothing about food safety. <laughs> right. I don't trust him. Right okay. then, then there's places that are like, okay, I'm only going to eat it at really nice restaurants because I trust that they're sourcing great product. Freshness is helping counteract this bacteria, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So my point being, like, everyone has to make, and, and this is what's really tough about being a governor, right? Is that the governor has to. The reality is the people yelling that this pandemic and the choices being made around it are crushing the economy aren't wrong. Yeah. And the people yelling that like human life is in danger because of it are not wrong. And the tricky part is some people, if you're at home, for example, if you're and you're still working, you're collecting your full paycheck, but you're working from home. Well, then full quarantine is a really suitable, safe option because right. you can you can exist safely on the financial and the health standpoint. Now, on the other hand, if you're somebody whose job is incredibly public, like, say, a police officer or a fire, mm-hmm. not going to work is not an option at all. Right. So that's all the way to the other end of the spectrum. I think that people need to understand and respect that every person in every profession across the board is having to weigh those two things. And everyone's going to that seesaw looks different for everyone. So if I owned a 200 seat restaurant in downtown Boston. With a monthly nut of 30 grand before I even open the doors. Mm. And most of my staff depended on me being open in order for them to feed their children. I might lean the economics a little heavier than the health. I might roll the dice quicker. Now, I own a 30 seat, 38 seat restaurant in a tiny suburb where most of my staff is either salaried or can be pivoted into other areas of my business. So I don't have to lay everyone off or anyone off. And I can just do takeout and outdoor seating. So I'm gonna do that. To me, the indoor ad for what it does for my business isn't worth the increased risk for my staff and my guests and my family. But I want to be transparent that that's that's a decision about economics. So if you're the governor, reopening restaurants isn't about, oh, hey guys, this is behind us and it's totally safe. It's about where on the seesaw are we right now? Mm -hmm. Are we crushing our economy? Are we leaving people food insecure and homeless? I mean, what about a line cook out there who if their next paycheck doesn't show up, and this isn't just true about line cooks. It's lots of professions. Uh, what about paraprofessionals that just got laid off by the town of Sharon? I mean, does the town of Sharon even consider that if that person's next paycheck weren't to show up, they might not actually, if your account's in the red, people of our, who, who've grown up in Sharon, who live a certain life, unless you know someone, you might not realize that there are people out there in our country, people that live decent lives that are so hand to mouth mm-hmm. that one paycheck never showing up means an inability to go buy a sandwich. Mm. And these aren't people that understand social programs and how to go get that food. So to me, I just think like, these are the things that are being weighed out. And it, it's tricky, especially in a bumper sticker politics environment that we live in, where it's like, if you can't say, like, no one's going to listen to what I just said. They wanted to hear <laughs> obviously anti-governor or pro-governor. Right, right, and, right. Uh, and that's tricky, but these things are really nuanced, right? So like- If you want to go to Rhode Island and sit inside a restaurant three weeks ago, I mean, that's your choice. And I don't think you're a weirdo for it. I think you're a weirdo if you do that and then blast people on Facebook for not wearing a mask when they pump gas. Yep, Like there is you just got to be consistent. If you're consistently afraid, cool. I'm with you. If You're consistently not afraid. Cool. You do you. Uh, Just don't don't play it both sides
0: man, I think you 're a genius because you you have you 're singing a song that i 've been singing for a long time and and i'll i 'll go a little philosophical and take it a step further that it 's not just analyses of things like like this and you 're right that there is a ba- it 's all a balancing act and it's not nobody 's right on on either side and yet our society and maybe it started with twitter and maybe it's and then it got exacerbated when we elected the most polarizing president in the, in the in the history of the country. And it just, at some point along the way, within the last several years, I, we turned into like a black and white society. And if you're not black, you're white. And I don't mean that in the racial sense. I mean, I everyone's picking sides. It, even something like, I know you're a sports guy, Tom, when Tom Brady, I feel like we talked to sports fans and people either think Tom Brady is the greatest or he's a cheater. He's, he's a, he's a <laughs> cheater, period. Well, he broke the rules. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, to, to me, I'm, I always wanna ask the next few questions. Are we sure he broke the rules? What were, rule did he break? Is it a really important rule or is it a rule that people break all the time? And maybe that's a clumsy analogy, but in and you see and you see this on social media. I do think our president's a buffoon. I'm not alone. But I don't like the people going online saying if if you voted for Trump, defriend me. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. I to me that's crazy. There are millions of people who voted for this guy, and you know what? If you're afraid he's going to get reelected, maybe listen to these people. Find out why. Do you agree?
1: So I have a, I have a theory about Trump's election. Yeah. That that I want people to to know. Um, I believe so. I lean left of center, and I, I always I consider myself an independent. But I've only ever, and I'm pretty transparent about this, I've actually to this point in my life only ever voted Democrat. Mm. So to me, I think sometimes when things are in shambles, you got to focus more on your team. Now, whether that's me looking at a review that really hurts my feelings and I don't think is fair, but I mm. think is honest, and then still instead of being mad at that guy, we clean our house up. Yeah. Same thing with politics. The Democrats, here's where I think we went sideways the whole Christmas tree in town centers thing. Yeah. We undervalue how important people's individual happiness is to them. Mm-hmm. And so when we started taking away things that mattered very individually to people, we started creating good human beings that are otherwise smart, that are rational and empathetic, who still, when they went into that, that polling station, they were like, if this goes any further, these people are gonna tell me that I can't be me. Right. So we almost created enemies by taking away the ta- Man, a rabbi said to me one time, he, there's a rabbi here in Sharon who fought really hard on a state level for Christmas trees in town centers. And he has a menorah in Sharon Center along with a Christmas tree. And I asked him why he went out of his way to fight for Christmas trees. And he said, "Obviously, he said, anytime somebody loves something a lot, you should be happy. Because mm-hmm. love of anything, that's what makes the world a better place. It's when they have nothing, we should be afraid. So if somebody really wants their Christmas tree in the center, we should be the loudest saying, give it to them. Don't take those things away from them. Your Christmas tree in town center does not offend me and it doesn't make me, for example, I'm a, I'm a pretty non-practicing Jew. But when I see a Christmas tree, I don't think it's not a swastika. Yeah. They don't say screw I'll be the Jew. They just love what they have. And when we started making your happiness mean that I can't be happy or that we started to create an army of people who aren't the 10 percent of crazies out there with Confederate flags and Trump memorabilia, but these these guys that are quiet, that are at your house, that are at my house eating dinner, and that we know are good human beings, but we also know voted for Trump. And if we just push anybody we disagree with out of the room, we're going to end up with an echo chamber where we can't make any change. Yeah. Me and you can't convince each other to change the world because we're on the same page. We got to work with other people. Did you follow what had, happened with the Phantom Gourmet recently? Yeah,
0: because um, I know members of the Andelman family, and I saw that. Although, as I sit here, I don't recall the whole story. I know one of the the Andelman brothers resigned completely over some critical comments he made, and they were kind of uh, anti-quarantine. Is I'm, I'm, but you you tell us, tell well, us what okay. happened and so, what your thought was. Yeah,
1: so Dave Andelman, what I think is the one that was. I know Dan, okay. but Dave Andelman was the CEO of. Uh, of phantom gourmet hold on one second what's up <laughs> <My daughter's
0: there. laughs> no go ahead no problem there's a lot of stuff going on in obviously, um
1: so dave andelman was the ceo of phantom uh, and he's i think he's the youngest brother um and so he look he's kind of a boisterous guy on his yeah. personal facebook page he wrote some stuff that i don't agree with it wasn't like it wasn't overtly it wasn't it wasn't easy to decipher overtly racist yeah. language yeah. and it wasn't overtly anti-pandemic. It sort of was of that, like, really kind of out there opinion that some people have right now that, like, if these people can protest and small businesses can't be open, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So it was uncomfortable. It wasn't cool. It wasn't cool. And I disagreed with it. Yeah. So he posted it. And a lot of people just started boycott Phantom. They start calling WBZ till Phantom gets pulled. I don't deal with things that way. I sent Dan Andelman a private message. I said, Hey man, I know you, I don't know your brother. Anyway, we could have a chat. He called me. He, we had a great conversation. I know him to be a good person. So I knew. And then in the end, Dave Andelman resigned, Dan Andelman took, took his space and they committed to now using their platform to also help highlight neighborhoods and chefs that aren't getting the credit. I feel like all that's brilliant, except the Dave Andelman resigning. Yeah, Like what does it do us in our opinion? that someone we disagree with just gets squashed. So then what about someday Dave when it's when it's you who's in the small in the in the less vocal group and you say something and someone goes, "What? Dave thinks that restaurants shouldn't have to open because of this?" Well, then screw Dave. Boycott his podcast. I just don't think that that's the way to deal with people. I think there's a conversation that can be had. Yeah. I think if you know him, you reach out to him. You say, "Can we talk?" Not, "Can I tell you you're a terrible person?" Not, "Can I embarrass you publicly but can we chat can we have a conversation i'd like to see where you're coming from all right can you try to see where i'm coming from i've had a lot of interesting conversations in the last 3 4 weeks since george floyd with friends of mine who have opinions that differ from me mm-hmm. and with police officer friends of mine with where you know they've expressed their opinion i've expressed my opinion and we've civilly pushed each other you know i, I i've got friends of mine who are police officers that are good human beings but aren't doing enough to publicly stand against their comrade. And I've told them that said, listen, you want people to stop booing you when you're in your uniform or to, you want Starbucks to not refuse you a a coffee, which by the way, I think is bonkers. But if you want that, then start demanding that that scumbag in your department, who you know is harassing people, you've seen it, start demanding that the union stop standing up for him, start being the change. And, but, but I don't say, screw you. Like we can't be friends anymore. I don't say delete me on Facebook. I just don't think that that's a way to, to push change.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's like, why the death sentence? Why the death sentence for, for Dave Andelman? Because he said some controversial things. Why not spin it? It sounds like they did try to spin it into a positive. Right. But I'm with you. I don't get. And maybe the guy's an asshole. I don't know him personally. I know other Andelmans. But, but he... Um, it, 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 to me it sends the message again it goes back to what we said lack of nuance no he's out he's, he must go um you know it it's and you know in recent years the me too movement had similar consequences and i'm all for me too i mean i i think it by and large it had a great effect and stopped some dickheads from doing terrible things and that's great but when someone like louis ck was one of my favorite comedians Got um, pulled into it and apparently did something very scummy and made some people feel uncomfortable and bad, 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 bad. Punish him for that. Somehow he has got, he has received the death sentence in Hollywood. Have you heard his name in a year? You know, <laughs> I mean, and um, and you know, Matt Damon tried to stand up and say it's important for us to look at the difference between Harvey Weinstein and maybe someone like Al Franken, and he got shouted down. No, everything is bad. You know, <laughs> you know,
1: and so. So uh, I thought Al Franken was a particularly bad one. Yeah, I thought Al Franken was a Because what he did was meant to humiliate that person. Oh, so actually, I actually okay. thought that was particularly bad. But I'm with you. So with Louis C.K., I always liked his comedy. Mm-hmm. And although sometimes I thought he went a little far in his comedy. Like, I don't mind By going design. far. When he's right. talking about his daughters, I'd get uncomfortable. Yeah, just to yeah, be honest. yeah. Like, but, but Louis C.K., I just think there's a way you handle it afterwards. So Aziz Ansari, right. Who I sure. thought like, that's a good example of where the movement starts to get kind of weird. Right. Aziz Ansari wasn't even accused of doing something wrong. He was accused of continuing to ask right. um, in a date scenario. That was a, you know, that was a super gray situation, but I thought that Aziz Ansari handled it the best. His next comedy special, he spent five minutes at the beginning saying, Hey, listen, I didn't think I had done anything wrong. But now hearing this person's viewpoint made me reevaluate a lot of stuff. And it made me start having conversations with my friends. And look, I think all of us. This is just my opinion. Yeah. And again, I'm listen, I'm anti-Trump. I'm not a Trump fan. But when Trump said what he said and people were like, oh, that's not locker room talk. Look, Dave, I don't want to embarrass you. Maybe you're the one guy. But I've been a guy for almost 36 years. I've been in rooms. Yeah. Listen, stuff like that gets said. It does. And. And and the reality is it's all context, right? Like when it's said by somebody you know wouldn't do it, we laugh it off. And I'm not going to start telling my friend who I know, look, I know who that person is. I know they would never do something like that. I'm not going to say, whoa, we're drawing a line now and we're trying to be funny. But I do think there's hard conversations we all have to have with ourselves about, okay, when you were a high school senior and you were just trying to like date girls, did you ever, did you ever not take no for an? not violate, not step over, but were there times where you look back at it and went, I viewed that situation differently than she probably did. Oh, absolutely. And, I thought that's what, and I thought that's what Aziz really did a good job of saying, mm-hmm. which was so to acknowledge that I understand where this woman's coming from instead of to say, screw you, you jerk. And Louis CK hasn't done himself any favors because that's his approach. If he came out and he did some stand-up at first, when he first started coming back yeah. and he did the small comedy clubs and he was like, yeah, last year I lost more money than anybody ha- did, blah, blah. And it's like, Louis, and you did some things that like, they, again, not to embarrass you, I can just say that's something I've never done. Like that seems like a weird thing to do.
0: Yeah, so like, I don't, yeah. I don't know how deep we want to go on it. I, I agree. It it, it it is borderline bizarre. The way I interpret it was that, um when he was growing up louis ck by his own admission was just kind of a a fat loser i don't know if he was always fat but he he, he's very self-deprecating along the way and i just wondered if that was a reflection of maybe because i'm a celebrity maybe these women will actually uh, like something like this now obviously he called it (laughs) he called it really wrong um and maybe maybe you're right i haven't followed everything he's done in the wake of it but the i'm glad you brought up aziz ansari because that was one sort of bright moment in in hope for nuance, I think, because when he came out and for those that don't know, there was a woman who accused him of uh, being inappropriate in during, after a date. And it, it was like you said, gray area, big time. He didn't force himself on her per se, but she said she was meant to feel uncomfortable during the course of when they were getting intimate. He,
1: he, he asked for something. She said, no, he asked like four more times.
0: Right. And finally, and she, she yeah, right. and, and certain voices, including certain female voices, came out afterwards and said, "We got to be careful because this sounds like just a, a bad date. A, and, and maybe she should have written it off to a bad date. We can't get into anybody's heads, of course. But I'm going to go watch his comedy special because I haven't seen that. He um, he's you know another sort of bright light in comedy and interesting guy. So I'm glad he he at least actually, seems to survive.
1: It's actually a great special too because he deals with a lot of the race stuff, mm-hmm. and he's got a, he's got a very funny." way of dealing with it um, so yeah i encourage you to watch that one it's funny he's smart he's yeah. he's one of those there's a couple comedians out there who i think educate while being funny mm-hmm. and i think that's really cool by the way i don't hate louis ck yeah i just think like i also kind of understand why other people won't let him back in the room you i know? gotcha but i do but i do still think matt matt damon's right by the way to yeah. clarify yeah because what harvey weinstein did was criminal yep. I mean, harvey weinstein's belongs in prison for what he did yeah that's there is a differentiation
0: absolutely absolutely yeah and it's again and by the way we're up against the clock here but i'm having too much fun with avi we'll spend just a couple more minutes here and um the 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 last note that i wanted to bring up was things going too far lack of nuance and maybe i don't have the whole story here but what i'm told one of the streaming services removed the movie blazing saddles from its library for the reasons that it uses the n-word and there it there is some racist stuff in the movie. Put it that way. I don't, I, what, did you hear that story? You follow that at all?
1: Yeah, I saw that. I know Gone with the Wind, too. And a Gone of with days.
0: the Wind is, is another one. And I don't remember what the material was in Gone with the Wind. I'm sure there is some terrible stuff that was of the era. For my money, Blazing Saddles, you you went too far. If, if it was indeed someone from the Black Lives Matter movement, which I'm all behind, like you, I I, I certainly tilt left. But to me, it's like if you, th- that is a parody of racism. The Cleavon Little character in *Blazing Saddles* is kind of a hero, and the the movie plays upon the insecurities of white people being comfortable with a black sheriff. The script apparently was co-written by Richard Pryor. It was like one of the great black voices of his generation. It was it was done in the same way that Mel Brooks mocked Nazis. He was mocking racists and and people like. It's too much. Like, like, open your eyes, figure out that there's something in between here. I don't know
1: if uh, I agree with that. Yeah, no, I agree. And by the way, so, you know, again, I could talk all day, but the statues. (laughs) So, for example, removing statues of Confederate leaders makes sense. That's right. That's like that's like Iraqis pulling down uh, Saddam Hussein statues. I mean, I don't want statues. First of all, let's just appeal to your patriotism. Why do you want rebel leaders mem- memorialized? It's I don't true. get that. Yeah, they lost. And then yeah. when add in that their cause was super racist, I don't want their statues here. But removing timepieces, so I don't believe that taking statues down is a race history. You can read about Robert E. Lee. You can go ahead and read about him. That's you don't need a statue commemorating him. Sure. But the movies, when you start erasing timepieces- exactly you're actually going to whitewash history. So it's, it's actually, it's in accident, accidentally it's going to reinforce the system of oppression because what was wrong with Gone with the Wind, they're saying is like that they were p- plantation owners and whatnot in the movie. Well, that's real. I mean, that's real to the time. So we need to remember, we need people that look like every, everybody, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, to be able to, to see movies and go, holy shit, yeah. in the 1930s. They were just casually making movies where a hero was a plantation owner. And, and then you realize where we were as a culture. It's no different than I don't know about you, but like I go back on Netflix or Hulu and I see something just from 10 years ago, just 10 years ago. And the casual joking language that's sort of just below the surface homophobic. Sure. I go to my wife, I go, you couldn't put that out today. Well, yeah. you just start erasing that. We'll never learn about our own progress. Yeah. You'll never see that in 1997, a super, super um, mainstream show like Friends or Seinfeld would make a joke that was kind that was homophobic. And then realize how far in just two decades we came to where that joke wouldn't be funny anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. So I, I yeah, mean, I'm with you. I don't think in Blazing Saddles, you're right. I mean, Richard Pryor helps make that movie so as to make fun of, to show people how ridiculous their own thought process was. You start removing that stuff I, I don't know where you're at.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can go back and watch Forty Eight Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, and Nick Nolte calls him every racial slur in the in the book, but but and that was um, accepted at the time, not because it was proper. To me, I, I I hope I watched that movie even at the time and said, well, he's a racist cop, and then he softens at the end and figures out he could be friends. So in the cl- in the clumsy way they presented it, maybe it was a learning experience. But I'm with you. You can't like if you're worried about your kids seeing that stuff. If it's if it's uh, a piece of art worth consuming, then watch it with them and then explain to them how that was the way it used to be. And isn't it good that it's better now? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we do have to run. Avi, tell people, first off, how, how do you make a reservation at Simca? What's the best way?
1: Uh, so on our website, which is restaurant.com, there's a reservation link or you can go straight to Resi, R-E-S-Y.com. And simca has got a page up on there. You just got to search for Simca.
0: And Simca is S I M C H A. Don't try to use the uh, Hebrew letters um, because you just get confused. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you need English. (laughs) And should people find you on Facebook? I I enjoy all your posts. And um, (laughs) is is that is, or does the restaurant have a Facebook page? Or I don't know that.
1: Well, the restaurant has a Facebook page. I have a Facebook page. Um, I'd say that they're two very different Uh, (laughs) content. But um, yeah, Simcha Simcha restaurant or Simcha Boston is the Facebook page mm-hmm. uh, We're also on Instagram with Simcha But I, I always feel like if you want information about actually coming to the restaurant then the, the Facebook page makes the most sense Great Or the or the website
0: Great Make sure to go there, man Try the chicken, but try everything on the menu It's fantastic And Avi, I wish you well, man it, I, I don't want a Sharon Massachusetts without Simcha And um, keep <laughs> on it, man Hope you had fun today
1: I did. I had a blast, man. I appreciate
0: you. Yeah. And as you can tell, we probably could have gone about three hours, <laughs> but we have, a doubt. we have other stuff to do today. So thank you for listening to the Boston podcast. If you like us, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. By the way, if you'd like your own podcast, go to pod617.com. We'll produce your podcast. If you hire us, we'll send you out a free USB microphone on the house. Uh, a good one, by the way, not a crappy one. And if you'd like to be a guest on this show, no fee, no strings attached. Do me a favor, shoot me an email, david at pod617.com. On behalf of Avi Shemtov and the whole team at Simca, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston, but if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Go get some chicken. I want it right now.